you got to pursue something that gives you life, that makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning. Welcome back to another episode of The Lodges Podcast. The Lodges Podcast. Welcome back. You have to get creative. Like, your content can't just be like you sitting there. I have to, you know, master this D-list athlete if I'm going to get to C-list, to B-list, to A-list. whole slogan was basically, you're famous enough just being yourself. Just be you. A ruthless pursuit to, to be the best. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of The Lodges Podcast. This is episode 63. First off, just thank you to everybody who is tuning in, whether you guys are listening on Apple or Spotify. Um, and for all you guys interacting throughout the week, you know, showing love to our guests, showing love to the show, I really appreciate it. If you guys are tuning in here live on Twitch, um, as you guys have seen, we've begun to implement that. So I appreciate everyone that, you know, is coming through the stream. Um, but we're going to kick it off. Today's guest, I'm extremely excited to have. Um, he's someone that this is this is our first time talking, been following for a little bit and seeing him on some other stuff. But our guest is David Chen. Uh, and a lot of things that he's involved in. He's an investor of FaZe Clan. He is the president of the North American Collegiate League. He will be teaching at SMU and esports class. Um, he's a podcast host himself. He's an ex-Deloitte partner. He has his own private equity firm. So I mean, the resume is loaded, but David, I'm I'm pumped to have you. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate uh, you having me on as a guest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I've seen, I think I originally saw you on Christmas podcast, like way back. I think that was earlier in the year. Um, and I just started following your stuff. And I was like, man, this guy is just, he's got his hands on a lot of different projects. <laughs> Thank you. It might be a bad A and D, but either which way, I appreciate it. For sure. Um, well, I thought a good icebreaker before we jump into your story and, and hear about you coming up and kind of your professional career. I thought a good icebreaker was I was checking out your Twitter and your, your cover photo on the Twitter is a picture of you, Clinton Sparks, some other FaZe Clan members and Mark Wahlberg. I was just curious, like what's, what was happening in that photo or, or what was going on then? Dude, that was, you know, I, I shout out to FaZe and Clinton and the guys, you know, including me. Clinton's been a good friend of mine for over 10 years. He's actually the one who got me into FaZe initially. And the interesting part was, you know, I'm in L.A. and there's like, we're going we're gonna to talk to Mark and, and kind of see, you know, something that could happen. So we drive up to like Mark's giant, beautiful mansion. Like you can, I, I mean, I've been to a lot, a lot of nice big houses, but this is by far the nicest, biggest house I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And like, you know, you're pulling up and I met a lot of cool people, but this is Mark freaking Wahlberg, right? Right. So we're standing up, you know, some of the guys are there, you know, from FaZe, uh, you know, and, and Greg was there and, and we're all gonna, you know, kind of just hang out and talk to Mark. And the way it, it kind of worked was I was standing in the front door and mm -hmm. opens the door and I turn, I'm looking this way and I turn back and all of a sudden we see Mr. Wahlberg, right? You know, he's like five, eight, five, nine, I'm six, five, I'm a big dude. And I look over and I'm like, so intimidated because this <laughs> is the man, the guy that I love, you know, a person I, I love, but he was super duper nice. And, mm -hmm. and he was such a nice guy. And that's when we kind of sat down and kind of talked to him, saw his basketball court, you know, just kind of talked to him a little bit, but dude, it, it was the most phenomenal thing I've ever done. You walk in this man's house and I will <laughs> tell you, he, he was such a nice person and, and the most important part of it was like, just kind of the way his synergy and energy was. And man, I was like, wow, that was super duper dope. So that was the photo from there. And so people okay. tell me, you know, who's one of the biggest celebrities you ever met? I was say, Mark's, I got to meet him at his own house, which was like something I never thought I had the chance to do. And it was super amazing and positive. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like it's one thing to meet a celebrity like that, you know, out in public, but like you're saying to go over to their house and like sit down and chat with them. I mean, that's, that's pretty surreal. 
Yeah, and, he, and he's a G, man. Like, he has, like, a photo <laughs> of, like, his private – of like, he has a, a model of a jet, and it's, like, it said Wahlburgers on it. And I kind of looked at it, and I was like – and someone said something to him, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's what they give you when you buy a jet. I was like, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. No, that's cool. Well, I'm sure I, I want to touch, like I told you, on FaZe Clan in a bit. Um, so we'll jump into that. But to just kick it off and to give, you know, the listeners a little bit of context about you, I've heard bits and parts of your pieces throughout different podcasts and stuff. But even myself, I haven't heard the full thing. But if you just want to give us a, a five to 10 minute background story of who you are, where you're from, how you grew up and, and a little bit of how you got to where you where you're at right now, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, you know, it's, it's one of those this is why this is the greatest country in the world, despite what everyone is arguing about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was born in Taipei and I grew up in Colorado and then moved to Texas when I was 10. But the crazy part about the story was when I came to this amazing country, I was, we were pretty much homeless when we first started off, right? Like legitimately homeless, had to dig through garbage can, try to get food, try to get things that we had to do. And my parents really kind of worked their way up as immigrants. So when you hear the story of, of a bunch of immigrants together and they're living at a home, trying to make a better life, I was that kid. And the crazy part about this whole entire discussion was, you know, on a good day, we would have uh, an, an egg sandwich. On a bad day, we wouldn't eat. So there was no Lunchables. There was no bologna. There was no trading chocolate chips. Nobody wanted to eat with the kid who had a stinky egg sandwich. And you never kind of knew that you grew up in those economic conditions, but you always knew there was something different about you. And then the fact that my parents really couldn't speak the language. And by like the third grade, I had made honor roll. They had no idea what honor roll was. That kind of helped shape and molded me because I realized at that point in time, we were very, very different from everyone else, you know? And it wasn't because anyone pointed it out, it was just you knew you were different and you couldn't figure out what it was. And that was kind of the initial part of my background. And I just remember you talk about opportunity in life, and this is the craziest thing. My parents, for some strange reason, when they went to the restaurant business, they had a guy named David Hahn and we were living in Aspen and they were working at the restaurant. This man looks over my parents and he says, you know what, I want you guys to go rent this restaurant for me and you pay me X amount a month and you run it and everything else you make go from there. So now the restaurant owners, right, paying the monthly because opportunity comes for people that work hard. You never, most people screw up is they want to know what the end goal is before they work. And what mm-hmm. you should do is you should just work and see where the end goal is going to go because the end goal is where you can take it. But because they worked so hard and they were such good people, you know, this man, David, allowed them to do that. And then one day out of nowhere, uh, and this is how we got to to, to El Paso. Uh, we had a guy, his last, you know, one of the, one of the guys uh, from Mexico who came down here, and he was like, "We want you to run our restaurant." And my parents were like, "Run your restaurant where?" This is in Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, but we live in El Paso. And I was okay. like, "I'm 10 years old. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense." And instantaneously, we flew over, and they basically had us start working with my dad as a partner. So we lived in El Paso. But we, we had our businesses across the board in Mexico. So truly global in that sense, which is why I speak fluent Spanish, because I was working there as a kid growing up and crossing the border every day to the U.S. I had to live back home. And what I learned from that was like I didn't even get my first real home and my first real bed till I was 15 years old. And the other crazy part was I went to school. You know, I was like one of those kids that like went to school at U of A and was told by the assistant dean that I was stupid and that I was never going to make myself anything in business. And I shouldn't be wasting my time because it's such a prestigious business school. Now my whole entire life, I've been told that, right? My SATs were low. I only got a three out of 10 colleges. I didn't, I couldn't pass tests and I couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And my path and my gear was this guy is never going to make it. So when you're sitting in college for six years and for most Asian kids, if you're sitting in college for six years, you have a PhD by right now. <laughs> I wasn't one of those kids. 
I was the kid that was six years as a junior trying to figure out my life. And what happened was life came back to me again. And both my parents had a heart attack that year and my sister skipped. So then it was either my sister and I going to school being big brother. I'd already spent six years there. So I became a, I'm a college dropout. That's the craziest part of the story. Okay. And I went back home and I worked at my parents' restaurant for three years. And you know, the crazy part about the story is when I was in college, I couldn't work one day a week because I thought it was so hard to balance a job and try and take classes and hang out with my friends. And when I get back home, I'm working 100 to 120 hours a week. It's 168 hours a week because I was trying to keep our house mm-hmm. at 22 years old. And to, to have the shame of going back home in the next three years of my life, try to figure out my life when all my friends are getting big jobs, 80,000 year jobs, 100,000 year jobs, working at Honeywell, buying BMWs, I'm sitting at home running my parents' restaurant until 25 and living at their home, driving my busted Honda with no degree and no hope. And so the life lesson there was I went home because I had to, but had I actually paid attention and did my job in school, I would have already had that degree. I chose not to because I was so lost and I was too ashamed and too prideful to ask for help. Like, think about that. How, how ridiculous is that? I don't know what I'm doing in my life in school. Can you help me out? And the problem with being a young person is you think that after you graduate high school, it's just what have figured out. Dude, I'm 40. I still haven't figured it out. That's just how life works. You just have to, you just know that things are going to be okay. And you kind of go through the, 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 the moments. And that's kind of where the opportunity happened. Cause from everything negative, something positive, three years of working hard and trying to find my niche, I ran into a guy named Foster Gallardo who was the managing partner at Deloitte. And he just happened to want a guy that could speak the different languages, Chinese, Spanish, and English. And that was my niche. I could speak all three. And so what ended up happening was he utilized me to go work at Deloitte as a college dropout. And then all my friends, this is the first time I ever hit a hater. My friends were like, how'd you get this job? We want to see a business card. Like imagine that feeling because you were the one that was screwing around. You're the one who couldn't figure out your life. I was ashamed. I wasn't Mm -hmm. a dumb person. I just didn't know how to figure out my life. And this is at 25, right? So if anyone who's listening to that age, let's just be an encouraging story. And then I get this job and all of a sudden I'm making 60, 70,000 a year. And so now it's like, I'm super cool. I'm going back to U of A. I'm driving back and forth every week to try to finish my degree and then now I'm the big man on campus because I still know a lot of people. I'm making money. I'm driving a new car, a nice house. And six months later, I get fired. And I get fired because I did what every person does when they get a new opportunity. I squander it. I become complacent. And more importantly, I don't realize the hard work that needs to be there. And you would think in a firm like that, that they would train you and teach you about everything. What ended up happening was they didn't train me and teach me anything. They assume that you know, because you're working at that firm. So for two months, when I get fired, right, I'm sitting there home, 26 years old now, right, just lost this job, no degree, have a mortgage payment, have a car payment, and I can't, I don't, can't figure it out because I've only worked at Deloitte for six months. So how am I going to go get a job at PwC with no degree and going from there? So I did the most important thing I ever did in my life, which is what I've always done. I sat there, I thought about it, cried, and the whole entire time what kept me alive was gaming. Mm-hmm. See, I would game every single night. And that's why gaming is so important to me. It took me into another world where I didn't have to think about it, at least for that one hour or two hours, and I was good at what I was doing. 
it allowed me to feel some sort of hope and joy and love. That's why I love gamers. I love esport, and, and, and I love this community because it saved me. And the most important part wasn't that it saved me. The most important part was, you know, that it really kind of came through and, and really kind of made a big, big deal. And, and what ended up happening was when I was going back, I begged for my job back. So I do a thing called value added proposition. I went back and I asked the managing partner, I said, hey, can you do me a favor? And I was like, can I have a meeting with you? He said, sure. I said, can I come back to Deloitte? I'll take a 60% pay cut. A 60% pay cut. And if I know that you need to make $15,000 in three months. You pay me $2,000 a month for the next three months. And if I hit my goal, you keep me on for the rest of the year. And if I don't hit my goal, the worst case scenario is you let me go and it's a write off. But here's the stipulation. I want to run, the, I want to deal with just Chinese business and Korean business in Latin America in the different industries and functions. So he did it. And let me tell you what was different this time. I did a magical thing called Google, right? The whole world's knowledge is sitting here on your cell phone. And I started Googling everything, learning about taxes and M&A and joint ventures and literally learned it. And seven years later, I became the youngest managing partner at Deloitte. That's my story. So it wasn't because I couldn't do where it was at. I just put myself into limitations and didn't realize that you can learn anything and assess anything if you want to. And it's all online. And that's what happened. So that's kind of how I got into Deloitte and went from there. Okay. Well, we have, so we have a couple of different synergies. Uh, first off, incredible story. And I'm excited to get into even more of the nitty gritty in a bit. But um, so both of my parents are actually immigrants from Cuba. So um, hey. my dad came over Yeah, when he was about eight. My mom was, was very young when she came over. So um, though I obviously am not an immigrant, I was born in the United States. Uh, I can relate a bit in, in hearing from my parents of just how hard that is to come from another country to literally start from like ground zero. I mean, it, it's crazy. So um, a, a lot of respect for you there. Uh, and then the second thing is, I, so I currently, my day job is at EY. So uh, I'm an accounting manager. So, so I've got that big four connection with you as well. So that was something I was excited to talk to you about. Um, and, and so for everybody listening, I mean, to become managing partner, to become, you know, really partner in, in any of these big four firms is obviously something that is incredibly difficult to do. It's definitely incredibly uh, competitive to do. So that is, that is super unique that you were able to, I mean, go back, get a pay cut, and then build up the career you had at Deloitte. Um, while you were at that time at Deloitte, I, I guess some, one of the things that I was interested in is, you know, while you were there, were you pivoting and eventually did you want to do something in gaming and esports? Or, you know, maybe can you talk a little bit about towards the end of Deloitte, kind of where your mind was at and, and what you want to do next? Well, I left Deloitte in 2015 and I coined the term corporatepreneur. And this is for a lot of people that are listening. And the, and the term was like this, you can be, you, in your 20s, you're, you're trying to learn structure and understanding and credibility, right? Because you can be a 20-year-old financial manager, but you're still 20 years old. Unless you're Mark Zuckerberg, people don't really want to take advice from a 20-year-old, right? And that was the kind of the same thing with me. And I learned very, very early on that in my 20s, I had to learn structure. In my 30s, I had developed. In 40s, I was really going to make my money, right? Mm -hmm. So that's always been my, my, my idea. And what happened was, as I was working at Deloitte, I simultaneously had my own businesses. I was... I had my own bars, my own nightclubs, my own restaurants. And so I was in between those 168 hours a week. So during my lunch break from one to three, I'm at the restaurant checking out lunch. I go back to Deloitte. And then when it's over, I'm at the dinner shift of my restaurants. And then I'm sleeping at, you know, three, four hours a day going back to Deloitte. And I did it. And then I'm running my, my businesses during the weekend. And that proved one fact. Either you want to do it or you don't. 
That's it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to talk about. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you don't want to do it. Nobody cares. Nobody feels bad for you. Not because they don't fundamentally care about you, because your life is your own responsibility. And so that's what I ended up doing. And when I left Deloitte in 15, you know, the situation was a little iffy over there. And I had to start my first private equity firm, which is what I did with four partners. And we were in three or four different areas. And let's just be a lesson in life. We were bidding on trying to buy a portion of the Memphis Grizzlies. And we were representing Fosun Group, the Warren Buffett of China, to look at this potential transaction. Mm-hmm. And we're, as we're starting to work and close, start doing numbers, Steve Ballmer comes in and buys the Clippers for a billion dollars. So it screws my valuation up. And then we have to start all over. And that work is gone. And what gaming came in is after that, I got into the crypto blockchain space. We worked on that. We understood what was going on there. We bid it on Prince Hamden's 2020 initiative to try to get the smart city for Dubai. And we ultimately lose to Ethereum. And Ethereum gets first place. Not bad for a small little company, right? And then I started GTIF Capital. And with GTIF Capital, we were in, you know, we're in tech spaces. It's my money, some of my partner's money, real estate, some of the other cool things that we've done. But when Eastworth came around, it was Clinton who gave me a call and he was like, yo, I, I know this company and I didn't know who FaZe was at the time. He just gave me the numbers, 10 billion viewers in 2018, 330 million subscribers. Would you be interested in investing? And I was like, based on the numbers and what I learned from Deloitte, hell yeah, I want to invest. And I jumped in and went from there. And, and that's kind of like where the luck comes in because 10 years ago, I met Clinton because he was DJing at one of my nightclubs. And we became friends, right? He's like, you're the only guy who ever asked me to have breakfast and just wanted to talk to know me. Like, think about what I just said. And over the course of 10 years, not knowing what was going to happen, but genuinely being a genuinely good person, caring about him, that's how I, I, I started joining FaZe. And then, you know, got an advisory board and put together that Super Bowl commercial that, you know, with A-Rod and Planners and Charlie Sheen and an Apex in there. And that's kind of how, you know, I kind of took off in, in that world. But it wasn't because of Deloitte, but Deloitte was the basis to get me to where I needed to go. Got you. How was it? I mean, I, I can imagine, like, was there any from family, from friends, like when you first got into gaming, any sports, you're coming from Deloitte, you've got your own private equity firm, you've started. Was there any judgment? I'm curious from having the business background and career you had from friends or family, like going to gaming sports where they just maybe didn't understand it or they were like, you know, what is it that you're really getting involved with? Well, you know, this is one that I tell everyone, it, it doesn't. There's, there's judgment no matter what. And I always say this to people because what happens is if you don't start, people are like, you're never going to make anything of yourself. You never started. And then you're starting and all of a sudden everyone's an expert and they're trying to tell you how you can be better. Then we actually make it. They're like, oh, you've totally changed, man. You're not the same person. And then when you retire, you're a has-been. So you're never making anybody happy. So who cares? Right? And so for me, it was like, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to listen but where is this coming from? Is this coming from a hater perspective? Of course, my parents who don't understand this space and now, you know, trying to understand it, they, they're, they're worried because they love me. So my perspective was, well, at least my parents care enough to, to talk to me about it. It's better than not having any parents at all. And it's the same thing with friends. But at the end of the day, as long as my intentions were good, I knew what my vision was going to be. And, and my heart was good. And I, my mind was very, very clear on what I needed to do. And as long as all three of those things align, I was able to continue to do what I'm trying to do and, and, and try to make it work. It's not perfect. We have problems like everyone else. I worry about the bills like everyone else. I worry about COVID like everyone else. Everyone's dealing with this stuff. The only difference is you just have to figure it out because if you don't, who is? Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I, I'm listen, I'm extremely young. So I love having guests like you really any guests just to I mean, my listeners are learning, but I sit here and I get to have a front row seat uh, learning <laughs> about it. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm learning fast that I thought what you said really stuck with me was that people really don't care. And again, it's not because people don't genuinely care about you. But like you're saying, I mean, you're ultimately got to be in charge of and, and take responsibility for what you want to do. So um, I think that's some some great words of advice. Um, with FaZe Clan, was it, and I know you mentioned Clinton kind of brought you over there. Was it, did you have your eyes? And I mean, you don't have to like reveal any names if you did, but did you have your eyes anywhere else in the gaming and esports space or was FaZe kind of like the first one that popped up and you just heard it, you thought it was great and you jumped on it? It was first one that popped up. I heard it, I thought it was great. I jumped on uh, on it, right? Like, you know, people have to understand that, you know, people have such an issue with balance sheets and S&P and you know, everything else, the world works on a quality evaluation at this point, users, user base, Amazon, Facebook, and then they do revenue. So it wasn't hard for me on my Deloitte aspect to see what the potential value is and how we can add on to it. Right. And, and how we can help grow the company. And, you know, they've done an amazing job, you know, regardless of any which way and, and done what they've done best, but it was just a blessing to be part of, you know, as an investor and working, you know, with this group, it, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Can you share anything? I mean, as far as being an investor, I know you said you worked with them on the um, the Super Bowl commercial. Is there any other involvement that you can share about working with FaZe Clan as far, as, aside from just being an investor that you've had the opportunity to work with them or some opportunities that you felt were really special to just be a part of FaZe Clan? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the players are really cool. You know, I got a chance to do a rally with Temper and Adapt. We went from El Paso to Vegas and, and, you know, on tempers, I just got a tattoo on his YouTube. I'm on that one. And they actually stayed at my house in El Paso <laughs> and we, we went up there. They're just good guys, you know, and, and a lot of these, these young guys are, they're just cool. Like they're nice guys. They care, they care about the community, you know, and that's my personal experience with them. And, and, and that's kind of where, where the value comes in, right? Is that they do care and they care enough to make things work. So it's been a super exciting process to just even watch it from the sidelines and see what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, I've seen Clinton on some other stuff. I've seen you on some stuff. It seems that everybody at FaZe Clan is genuinely having a good time with one another. I mean, listen, I'm sure there's the small things that come up. Everybody has that, but it seems like everyone that's at least touched it or been a part of it seems like they're really just loving the culture. They love the people they're with and they love what, you know, FaZe Clan is doing moving forward. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what do you think, I mean, with that culture and, and just to stick on here with FaZe for a second more, what do you think, sets them apart from other esports orgs right now. I mean, obviously you've got your other top orgs out there that, you know, are all trying to make it and, and trying to be at the top. But what is it that you think now that you've been with them for two years and, and you've been a part of it, what do you think sets them apart from other esports orgs? Well, you know, just as an investor and watching from the way I'm looking at it, I mean, content. It's that simple, right? Content, yeah. the ability to do good content, cool content, being innovated thinking outside the box is key. That's in any business, right? When Amazon started, like, what the heck is Amazon? I'm never gonna order Amazon. Now boxes come every single day, right? Same thing with Facebook. Well, you can't start Facebook because MySpace is so big, it's gonna take it over. Well, look what happened, right? Innovation is key when it comes to any business companies and their sense of community is there. And FaZe, I think, has done a pretty good job at that. And, and that's kind of been the blessing of, of seeing what they've done. And, you know, and, um, and I'm just a happy investor kind of seeing how they move forward with it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think gaming and esports everywhere, the content's important. And I think, I think FaceClan is doing a good job with that. Um, 
Well, to pivot a little bit away from phase, unless there's anything else you want to add, uh, I definitely want to jump into the North American Collegiate League and your role with it. If you could just to kick it off, just share a little about a little bit about what it is, when it started, and what are you know some of the missions and goals for it. So North American Collegiate League started in September of this year of of last uh, of last year. So we've actually been around for a little bit over a year now, and it's been a blessing. The whole project actually started because I had 12 interns that summer for GTF Capital, you know, one of the companies I own, and they were interning for me. And what was interesting about this discussion was out of the 12, four stayed on, and they stayed on through the rest of the year because they still wanted to learn. They wanted to learn where we're at. And they didn't ask what the end goal was. A lot of times when you're dealing with business, if people know what the end goal is, you don't understand their character and if they really have the love for you and they want to work with you. So a lot of people screw up, right? Because well, what's it in for me? If it's not in for me, I'm not going from there. Well, how about good intentions and networking, learning from people? That's what's in it for you, right? And that's why you have to look at things because most people don't look at it that way. It's like, well, if it's not worth my dollar, I'm not going for it. Well, what do you make when you're not doing anything? Nothing. Same concept, right? right. So what happened was, was these four kids, they stayed on and I said, yo, you know, what's going on in the collegiate esports space? Started talking about it. And, and between them and us, they're actually founding members. They're still in college, all four of them. They're still in college with me with NACL. So mm. you talk about the real sense of community and I saw your eyebrows go up. That's unheard of. Big because, opportunity. Well, it's a huge opportunity, but it's also a huge opportunity and blessing for me because they also started teaching me about the world in the way they understood it and vice versa. There's a valuable thing where you can learn from both. And what ended up happening was that's how we started NACL. So we're in 220 universities. We're now going to be in 30 countries that we have that participate with us. We're, we're literally entering Latin America. We actually have a tournament this weekend where we sponsored IUV, which is, you know, a thousand players playing FIFA, a thousand playing Fortnite, a thousand playing League of Legends, a thousand playing Valorant, because all these kids are donating for kids with cancer. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be part of that process and donate that and kind of help that community. Obviously, we're doing the Play for Pink thing where we're trying to help our community as well, you know, with, with cancer and things of that sort. Uh, a very, very hard thing, you know, to discuss, but nonetheless, we're able to do that. And mm -hmm. we're the only collegiate league that has streaming rights in mainland China. And I'll tell you why that's important, because a third of the revenue is in China, and we're the only collegiate league that can stream in China. Hmm. And we have a seven country, 48 episode TV deal with ISUN TV, where we do, do a show called Replay. So anyone that plays in our tournaments, we're actually highlighting them and showing them up to people who are watching in Korea and Japan and Taiwan and Macau. So it's a huge opportunity over there to synergize on a global level. And more importantly, we have a lot of cool, amazing celebrities that are brand ambassadors and partners that believe in this company. So on any given week, you'll have a college kid play with a huge EDM DJ. So two weeks ago, we had A-State play with Funk Case and, 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 and Gabe Horn, who was one of the biggest Rocket League players. You know, the week before that, we had a couple of guys play Madden with each other, with like Alvin Jones and Aaron Jones, who are, you know, they played on our stream and they're partners with us. It's, it's a phenomenal thing to kind of integrate everything because we care about a community and we want to give those prizes in the hope that you can go college to pro. So that's been another amazing thing that we've done. We've had a couple of guys go college to pro through our network and some of our partnerships that we'll make these announcements with. But it's a huge opportunity not just to make money, but to actually learn in the industry and grow and follow your dreams while still being aired on many, many different levels. So that's kind of been a blessing for us. Yeah, no, that's super unique and cool. I mean, 
I think there's still such a huge gap and opportunity for going from amateur to collegiate to pro, right? It, it, we've seen that it's not as structured as it is in traditional sports. So that's cool that you guys are, are in other people another group of people that are kind of bridging that gap. Um, but you guys are doing on an international level, which I actually didn't even know that I thought, you know, I figured it was just here in the States. So is the goal for, for, if you're an international student and you're playing, is it for them to get connected with universities there? Is it for them to get connected with universities there and in the U S or, or what are some of the end goals there for them? It's all of it, right? I mean, you as a gamer, if let's talk about PUBG, for example, right? Maybe mm -hmm. a game that's not so much more popular here, but maybe more so in parts of Asia, right? So if you're playing PUBG, which by the way, we, we actually uh, are shooting, we have a tournament right now with Collegiate PUBG, who's our partners. And, the, you know, people in Asia get to view you. There's sponsorships. There's other teams. They're looking for players like this from around the world. In South America, when we did our global Fortnite tournament, the last, time, the last team that won was from Guatemala. Ping wasn't an issue. They figured it out, right? That's how we're kind of growing on, a, on, a, on that global level. But it's exposure and brand opportunities from everybody all around the world and really kind of showing that. And then they get to play with celebrities or the grand prizes are to meet celebrities. The last one who, who won our Fortnite tournament, one of our partners, Oretflow, they get to hang out with him and Flex Lewis, seven-time Mr. Olympia, who will be on our brand ambassador stream tomorrow. And this guy, you know, they're working together and you get to meet these guys and they're super nice people. Like we just hang out with nice people. So that to me is kind of pivotal on how we're kind of growing and doing our business. But that's the whole point. Hang out with cool people, understand that you might be able to go pro because most parents are not going to allow you to skip college to try to become, you know, a streamer. Most, I'm not saying all of them. There's some that do a great job, but this is the best way to kind of make it work and kind of go from there. So that's kind of what we did together. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the coolest things that I've seen recently and really seemed has taken off this year is continuing to see whether, you know, it's a pro athlete, whether it's a collegiate athlete, whether it's an entertainer that have that gaming background and grew up with it and are getting involved in organizations like yourself. And then it's almost like a give back for them and, and then an opportunity for the kids, because I think that it's genuine, the ones that are doing it, like they're getting an opportunity to do what they love. It's almost like getting to do an impact on the kid and then they're getting to play with, you know, someone. So I think that's, that's really neat. Who are some of you? Do you have Pavin? Is, is he on your uh, brand yeah. ambassador list? Okay. He's a brand ambassador partner and homie. So, okay. <laughs> so it's actually crazy. On Wednesday, we have a Madden league that's, that he's basically hosting for three to four months with 32 players and they're hosting in the grand prize to get to hang out with him and one of our NFL guys and make money oh. and become a brand yeah. ambassador in ACL. So the exposure is quite huge and the opportunities are big. And he, plus you get to learn from the best and be with the best. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. We had uh, Pavin came on like three or four episodes ago and he, I see him always retweeting your guys stuff. And so that's actually what, what led me to your guys page. So he, yeah, he's, he was a cool guy. Yeah. He's a great yeah. guy. Um, I wanted to jump back when you were mentioning the interns you had, I think you said you started with 12 and then you had four stay on. What are, I mean, for young listeners listening in, cause we do have some young listeners that tune in. And I think this is an important point, whether you're going to go to a streamer or where you're going to try to, you know, be on the business side. Um, what are some things you shared with those interns throughout that experience that you think is valuable to them when you're trying to come up and you're trying to be in gaming and esports and you may be trying to make that decision. Should I be a professional player? Should I try to get in the content creation side? Um, you know, can I get a finance degree and be in this? Is there anything you would share to other young people out there that are, are trying to make that decision to kind of find their path? Yeah, the only person that I can stop you is you, right? And I say that truthfully because 
you will seriously know if you're ready or not ready to do what you have to do, but it's a process, right? It doesn't happen overnight. There's no overnight sensations. You have to work for it and know that it's a constant grind. If I wasn't a friend for Clinton for 10 years, I would have never had a chance to be part of phase, right? And then it would have led to anything else. If my interns were just trying to you know, work for the summer and get their letter, the ones that stayed who didn't know, because had all of them say they would have all been partners, but they didn't know because they didn't, they didn't think about that, right? They became partners. It, the whole thing is about process and good intentions. If your intentions are good, good things are gonna happen to you. If your intentions aren't bad and trying to be a little shady, great things don't happen to you. And we've been very, very blessed with our partnerships because I don't pay Jeremy Roenick to retweet and I don't play Aaron and Alvin Jones to play on a stream. They do it because they love it and they care about the community. Like that's the, the, the fortitude and luck that we've had. Another thing is content creation. It doesn't matter if you want to be a gamer, a streamer, if you want to do content creation, you want to be a businessman. If you don't promote yourself, who the hell will? Think about what I just said. You don't have a publicist. You don't have someone putting up there. And how can you prove that you're that good at your trick shots? So constantly understanding that content is key is so significant because you don't know what you're putting up. Some from PwC will see it, Ian Y. And I'll tell you the proof is in the pudding. The former CEO of Deloitte China, Lawrence Chia, mm -hmm. is one of our investors and partners at NACL. And now he runs a $10 billion company because he saw the content that I was putting out. Content is key for anything you're trying to do in business because you are a brand. Whether you stick with esports, whether you do whatever other field you do, you're your own brand. So you have to publicize yourself and go from there because the, even if you don't, because you're not comfortable or anything else, at the end of the day, that's how you're not going to be shown because other people will make that work. And the biggest thing that I see people make a mistake is, well, I'm the best player and I'm going to win this tournament. Okay, you put a flyer up that you won it. Yeah. Where's the proof that the content was there, that you had that trick shot? Where, how can you go viral? The more viewership, the more sponsorships you have, and you're not doing that. So how do you expect people to know who you are? I mean, I'm a Twitch affiliate. I game. I have people that follow. You have to know your whole entire craft, right? So not only my investor or I'm part of NACL or put together a Super Bowl commercial or a clothing deal with Mark Cuban or I'm teaching at SMU, I'm also a gamer. I'm actually gaming. And I don't have to be the best. I just have to be the one that can put out content and find my way to do that. And that's what people have to do and be true to yourself, right? Don't be someone that you don't want to be and then 20 years from now regret it. So for yeah. me, it's like I talk about gaming, I'm playing my games and, and I'm talking about questions in business. That's, that's, my, that's my gimmick. Find what, you're, you, what you want to do and be true to yourself because it's much more easy to be true to yourself than be someone that you're not. Yeah. And I think with the content side, like you're talking about, I, I always make this analogy. I'm a huge college football fan. So I went to Auburn University, went to an SEC school. So college football has kind of been something that I've become passionate about. And I think something college game day does really well is even if it's really too small, you know, D2, D3 schools playing, if there's a story there, game day does a great job of bringing that story to life. And now whether you're a fan of them or not, you're like, wow, like, you know, maybe I should tune into that game later because I heard about this person's struggle or this person coming over that. And I think we, we've talked about on the podcast before. I think some of the organizations and people that are doing the greatest job in excelling right now are, you know, if you're good at it, like you're saying, and you just put a banner up that it's a whole lot, a whole different story than if you're good at it and then you create a story behind it, then people can buy into and be like, man, I connect with so-and-so on that level. And now it's personal. So I, I, I think, I think that's the key. So I 100% agree with you on that. 
Appreciate that. No, and, and it's the truth, right? I mean, you know, we're doing self-promotion. We're at Deloitte. That's how I'm a partner. We're promoting, you know, what we're trying to do. Same thing with the capital firm. Same thing with the restaurant. Same thing with other, any investment app. You have to push it out, marketing, and really try to make it work. It's the same thing now more than ever. You're competing in a space now where celebrities are jumping in. So how are you going to compete? How are you going to get known? Well, you never know until you try, right? Don't, don't worry about the likes and dislikes or don't worry about the comments or lack of comments. Just put your content out. Eventually, it'll pick up. You never know who's going to see it. That's how I met Flex. That's how I got New York Weekly's top podcast in 2020. It wasn't based on likes and followers. It was based on people feel. So you're 100% on the point on that. And, and, and really, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And the content thing is hard, though. I mean, I'll be honest, I struggle with like putting out, you know, what am I going to tweet? What am I going to say? Because I, I think the culture we're going up in is that you've constantly got like you're saying, you've always got people that judge you. And it's, it's tough to, you know, get over that barrier. I mean, look, dude, it's like I said earlier, no matter who you are, people are going to hate. It just it doesn't matter. Right. But be so kind that negative people are out of your life. Be so positive that negative people don't want to be around you. That's the truth. If you think about what I just said, negative people hate being around positive people because they can't rock your shine. They just can't. You know, like yeah. you're doing the best thing that you can and going from there and you know what your intentions are. If your intentions are true, you have nothing to worry about, right? If your intentions are to help, they have nothing to worry about. No one's going to absolutely agree with it. No one's going to absolutely do anything about it, but they, their whole job is to derail you. Well, if it's not helping you towards your goals, then it's a distraction. They're distractions. So when someone says something bad, I just block them. I don't need to react. I don't need to sit there and be part of this thing. I'll just block you. I'll move on. I don't even give you the time of day. Now, if someone who misunderstands, this has happened to me one time. I had a guy who was one of my followers, and I was talking about something, and he literally said, well, I don't respect you because you, you, you didn't come from, you know, you came from something. You didn't come from nothing. And I was like, dude, so I messaged him. I was like, well, what are you talking about? And I said, it's on every one of anything I've ever been interviewed. It's been on Forbes. It's been on Yahoo Finance. Like, this is my background. You just didn't look. He sells my follower. He never responded back, right? So you have to know the fine line between that and going from there. People hate. It's not even worth your time to talk about. Just block them and keep moving forward. But if you don't put it up, you're letting them win. Yeah. You're letting them win because they're bullying you and knowing that you're, you, you're, you have fear towards them. Who cares? They're not paying your bills. So who cares? Yeah. Like you say, and you never know what happens. I had, I'll share real quick. This was end of last year. I was, I was more active on LinkedIn at the time. Now I'm a little bit less active on LinkedIn and on other platforms, but I was simply responding to, um, I think it was Lee Trink's post on LinkedIn. And I just was really liking the time what FaZe was doing. I was just commenting like usual. Um, didn't think anything of it. And I woke up the next morning, I had like five friends that had messaged me because Offset screenshotted it and shared it on his Instagram story and was like, yes, this is what FaZe is about. Like, this is what FaZe is all about. And it was my comment that he kind of put the little thing around. And it was, you know, I never was thinking like, oh, wow, like, you know, maybe, you know, Offset's going to screenshot this. But to your point, you never know who's going to read it. You never know who's going to pick it up. And then you never know what conversation might come from that. So exactly. So just do your best and put it out there. Good will get good back. And, and that's just the truth. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to, towards the end, I wanted to pivot. And I, I know we talked a little bit about entrepreneurship, but 
Um, I've seen, I believe you've tweeted this a couple of times because I've seen it, but you've said before that it's harder to stay on Forbes than to get on Forbes the first time. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. I, I just wanted to like pick your brain about that a little bit. Like what's the story behind that? What are your feelings about that? And I believe it. I, I think it's true, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share about it. You know why people don't stay on the top? Because they stay complacent. Their egos get big. Ego, you know, I, I do a lot of mentorship sessions, right? And I, and I do a lot of coaching and, and I take care of people in that sense. The first lesson I ever teach people is ego. Ego is not your amigo. Every, it, it, for your, what you just said about Twitter, that's your ego. And I say that respectfully because your ego is concerned about the haters, right? And your other ego is like, well, I'm going to prove these haters wrong. It's all ego based. At the end of the day, if you just do it, it doesn't matter what it is. The hardest thing in life is every decision that we make you want to go to the next level up because you're grateful to make, like, man, if I just make manager, I'm going to be grateful. Then it's like, well, if I just make director, I'm going to be grateful. Well, if I just make partner, I'm going to be grateful. That's the problem. It's never enough. So mm. when people get on these, like I was talking about Forbes is, you don't, people start saying it's not enough. They start forgetting who they are. They start forgetting that they, you know, they're ashamed to see their mom on a Sunday after a crazy Saturday night because they're not true to themselves in the way that we're taught. We're all good people. I believe that people are generally good human beings, but our egos start making us compete with the Jones and the Jones don't care about you. You don't need to compete with them. You don't need to sit there and everyone pulls out a black card, you know, at E and Y and you're the one who doesn't have it. That's an ego thing. Great. You have a black card. Congratulations. I still pay my bills, right? That's the fundamental issue. So when you, when you get on the top, you have to work just as hard to stay on the top right? You have to consistently be humble because the reason you got to the top was because you were humble enough to say every level I'm going to, I'm going to work harder to get there. So now you're at the top. You're not humble anymore. You're not grateful for more. Being on Forbes, is that the, is that the highest you're going to get? No, you keep working and you keep instilling good and good comes back. So that's what I mean by that, that when you get there, People just get so complacent. They forget why they, how they even got there in the first place. And that's an ego driven issue. Well, I'm too good now because I make $15 million. Says who? Who says you're good? You? Because you make money? Oh, man. There's plenty of people in the world that make billions of dollars. And unfortunately, they blow their brains out because they're not happy. They're not balanced. You have to be balanced. You have to be overall happy. Happiness is a true win. That's a true win. It absolutely is. You can make all this money in the world and you have no one at your funeral, right? You can spend all the time with your family, but you can't pay your bills. You have to balance it. And the only person who knows what you're really doing is yourself. So hold yourself accountable. You can, you can break a contract with anyone else, although you never should, but you can never break the contract with yourself. Be responsible for what you have to do and get it done. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, a nice word there. <laughs> um, do you have any going throughout your journey? I mean, I know a little bit's been entrepreneur, a, a little bit's been corporate. Um, you've kind of had a mix of, of multiple, you know, different opportunities. Has there been, is there any story that you can share in, in your personal growth or any moment in your life where you kind of had to give yourself that self-check or maybe, you know, you thought you weren't, you, you thought you reached the top, but you're like, no, you know what? Like I need to, I need to reassess this. I'll, I'll tell you guys a story. I just made partner at Deloitte. And when I left Deloitte, I joined, I started my first private equity group. So here I am, I get my first Lamborghini. I get my first Porsche, right? I have these cars and all of a sudden something bad happens to my family and my parents lose their companies. And so no matter how much money I'm making, 
I'm now having to take care of my parents and myself. So Christmas time rolls around. This is five years ago. And I'm sitting there and I'm devastated because I'm trying to figure out how to pay the bills. I'm trying to figure out how to take care of my family while I'm smiling and shining on Instagram. Mm -hmm. This is a pivotal moment in my life. It's Christmas. My niece was just born. And my sister says to me, as I have these cars, I'm like, I'm, I'm stressed, I'm upset, I'm frustrated. I'm like, I can't believe I have to take care of this. I have to deal with this. I, you know, I'm a partner at Deloitte. Now I had to leave and I got to deal with this all over again and start this all over again. And we don't have enough money at that time because it came out of nowhere that we had to, I can even get Christmas gifts. So me and my fiance, my girlfriend at the time, my fiance now, we go to Walgreens with 20, 40 bucks and we go buy the silliest things, wine, cookies, a Minions little ball for my, my one-year-old niece at the time. And I'll tell you, man, that was the most meaningful Christmas because it was about the feeling and trying to make it work. But my ego was so big, I didn't sell the Lamborghini and Porsche because I was afraid of what people were going to say. But they weren't paying my bills. So that's where the ego thing comes from. Everything I'm telling you about is because I made so many mistakes and screwed up yeah. so many times that I've only come to realize that this is how life should be for the next part of my life, not how life should have been. Because I was watching what everyone else says, right? MTV Cribs, following social media, catching my likes, trying to get clout. It, it's just a never ending ego battle because I was just unhappy, truly unhappy because that's not who I am. And when that had happened, I was like, dude, what are you doing? You have these cars and you can't even pay the bills? Like you can barely pay them? Oh, because you're an ex-partner at Deloitte? Get out of here, man. That, that's not respectable. That's not being real. That's not helping your family. That's when I cared more about what everyone else said and the haters than I did about myself. And that's why I talk about when ego was so bad. And that aha moment happened. And the pivotal moment was I started living with my sister. And my sister, you know, we grew up together super duper close. Her husband's my best friend from college. Six of her eight bridesmaids are my best friends. <laughs> and my sister, eight months into it, pulls me aside and says this to me. She says, you know, I think you were the most selfish human being I've ever met. And I realized that you're the most loving and caring human being. And my sister couldn't even recognize me. Did the Lambo change that? Did the Porsche change that? Did making me a Deloitte partner change that? No. What changed that was myself and realizing that I was grateful for what I had and loving the things that was already given to me. Because if you don't love the things you have now, how can you expect more? If a little kid didn't take care of their toys, would you give them more toys? The answer is hell no. Yeah. Right? But if they take care of them, they're doing what they do, and they grow, you give them more. It's when they don't appreciate that the lessons start coming in. Dude, that's life and business. That's everything. When you stop appreciating it, good things don't happen, man. They just don't. But if you're truly grateful and your intentions are good, like I keep saying, that's what makes the big difference, man. Like, I don't know, like me jumping on this podcast, my intentions were just to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Those are my good intentions. Those are the people you, that, that you want to be around. And that's what the gaming community, in my opinion, needs, because that's the, the fundamental shift. We have a responsibility for this younger generation to teach them right. And I'm not going to be the one who teaches them wrong. That's just not how I work. Yeah. No, and I, you know, I mean, I'm part of it. I still consider myself relatively young, so I'm learning just as much as anybody else is right now. But I, I see that in 
in some people that are a little bit younger than me where I, I see a lot of cloud chasing game in esports. I see like, I don't know, and it's in, in life in general, like you're saying, it's anywhere, you know, we're just talking about gaming esports in this context. But um, but I like what you said that, you know, being someone that's kind of been through it and being someone that's had that experience and that's had success, that's had the downfalls and has gone up and down to mentor them, to, to be that example. Uh, because I mean, so many, like, you know, like so many of these kids are young. So many of these kids are like figuring it out. I mean, I always, when I, when I talk about people, about players or content creators or, or them being one themselves, I mean, I just try to take a step back and be like, okay, if I was 16 years old and I won a million dollars in an esports tournament, like where would my head be at? Because I mean, imagine, right? So, um, I think it's an important conversation. No, it is. And, 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 and I think that's what matters, right? Like you might be one million dollars, 16 years old. And that's why I say, you're on the top. Are you winning it next year? Are you going to the year after that? What are you doing with that money? Are, you know, you, you have a social responsibility for other people, right? And those things matter. Nothing is worse when you run into someone that you love and care about that you idolize and they don't treat you very nice. It hurts mm. right here, right? So my whole thing is I'll try to get back to every single person I can and work with them the best to my abilities because I just don't want you to learn the same mistakes that I did. And if I've touched your life and you've touched someone else's life, I've done my job as a human being. And that's all I can ask for. Yeah. I mean, listen, like you said, gentlemen, on this podcast, we, we had really never had a conversation prior to this. So, um, I mean, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing everything and, and, you know, just being authentic and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, last question, I guess, to just kind of wrap it up. Um, I thought maybe on a light note, maybe on a fun note with maybe a story you've got to share, but I, I was, as I always do with all my podcast guests, I was kind of doing some research on you, just seeing, you know, what, what you've done throughout your career to kind of format this. I saw you've had a picture with a lot of cool people. I know you mentioned Mark Wahlberg at the beginning. Who would you say is someone that you've met and has really stuck out to you and has just really been a memorable meeting and, and why? So, you know, I think in general, I've been very, very lucky. Anyone that I've met has been very memorable. And in and, and the set where, you know, when I talk about that story, what I didn't mention to you was all the failures led to a win. So the Deloitte experience allowed me to understand structure. The, 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 the BLCP, the first private equity firm I was part of, allowed me to understand that things will happen that are out of your control and how valuations are. When I did the crypto thing, one thing I didn't mention is Ethereum and consensus is part of our, you know, they, they, they put some money into our company in the sense where we have the only blockchain payout system in esports, collegiate esports, backed by Ethereum. And how did I meet them? I lost to them to, you know, from Dubai when trying to smart city contract. Everything, everything negative has something positive that comes out of it, right? So the last five years, if I had put my head down and was just depressed and upset and bitter and angry, I wouldn't have gone to where I got because all the failures have accumulated in my good intentions and everything that I've done and staying true to myself has allowed me now to make these, might've lost here, but it won here. Think about what I just said, right? That, that's, that's pretty important, you know? And, and when you talk about like this experience and this journey of my life, like, dude, nobody has it figured out. Yeah. I just turned 40, right? I don't, I mean, I feel 40 when I wake up, but I don't, look 40. I don't act 40. I wear my J's. I wear my, 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 my suits when I need to wear them. But you just have to be, I think, kind and nice because people don't want to deal with people that suck. They don't want to deal with people and be like, oh, I got to pick up this call right now. Like, oh, they don't like that stuff. They want to deal with people that are nice. And when they really say the, you know, you know, 
you know, honey attracts more bees than vinegar does. That's a real, real case. And that's what the authenticity part is. I'd rather just be nice and you don't want to work with me fine than be a jerk and let that be a reason why you don't want to work with me. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. No, I mean, it, there's enough people out there to work with. At least this is just my personal opinion, but there's enough people out there to work with to where I feel like you don't have to work with the jerks. You don't have to work with the people that are kind of, you know, be that stuck up or, or be that pride for, you know, whatever the case may be. I feel like there's enough good people out there to have that in your circle and that with your business. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you are who you sur- surround yourself with, right? Like look around. If the people aren't cheering on for you, they're not sharing your post. They're not liking it. It could be because they're intimidated. It could be because they didn't see it. It could be also because you didn't express it. Mm-hmm. So another thing I want to share is, you know, I made Forbes so many times and I remember talking to my fiance and I was like, dude, I made Forbes so many times and our friends don't really say anything and my family really doesn't say anything. I wonder why that is. Well, my family didn't understand what the heck Forbes was. Mm-hmm. They don't know what a podcast was. I'd explain it to them. I explained it last night at dinner still to my mom. Like, mom, it, it, that's what I've been doing. And then I had to explain it to my friends and my friends were like, oh my God, we didn't know. It wasn't that we didn't want to share. Now we understand it, Right. So a lot of times you got to get away with that ego and be like, well, they don't care. They don't share. Well, maybe they just don't know. And that was a lesson I learned at 40. You know what I mean? Like, well, they just didn't know, you know, can you guys, you know, share or can we share each other's things? Those things also matter, you know? So you, you have to constantly check yourself and understand yourself and adjust to yourself because that to me is, is the winning formula of, of trying to be happy and successful and being part of your circle. But there's certain people that will be jerks and they'll utilize you. That's between them. And, you know, if you didn't do anything wrong, it doesn't matter what they say, eventually people will find out. They'll, they'll eventually see the truth, right? They'll eventually see what's going on. That's happened to me many, many times in my life. People tell a story, I'm the bad guy, but yet I've been on Forbes 18 times, right? I'm not trustworthy yet. I'm partnering with, with a clothing drop the Mark Cuban. I mean, that, that's what I'm trying to tell you. The actions will show, and the, if the intentions are good, those actions will prevail. And, and, and that's how I think life should be, and that's how life should work. No, I love it. I, I like the, the podcast comment you dropped there with y- your mom, I believe you just said, was that she didn't really understand like what the podcast was. I do this podcast, like I said, we do this like a little bit over a year. I still feel like when I tell my mom and dad or, you know, I call them, I'm like, yeah, like I got a podcast tomorrow with so-and-so. They'll just be like, oh, okay, cool. But like... I actually had never thought about taking the step back a little bit more and being like, wait, do they fully get it? Like, do they not? You know, I never actually even thought of it from that perspective. So that's, that's really interesting. I like that. I appreciate that, my man. <laughs> um, well, wrapping things up uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. I, I appreciate the time. I know it's, it's late, kind of late here on a Monday night. Um, but where is the best place for, and for all you guys listening, we'll drop David's, uh, links to some of his socials. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify, you guys can click on it and go to it there. But, uh, David, what are some of your like favorite or most used social media platforms that people can connect and follow you on? Uh, you just find me David Chen Panda, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, LinkedIn is obviously David Chen. Uh, my website's davidchenpanda.com. My podcast is Pandanomics, right? If you actually notice, it's all the same branding. <laughs> <laughs> right. So branding is key. And I, and I preach that because now what's going to happen is when you go to a Panda Express or anything Panda, you'll start thinking about me. Mm. That's what's going to happen. And, and it has happened. So that's why I say like branding is key and being and being consistent. But I'm on those different platforms. Uh, TikTok as well. Uh, you know, add me, message me, talk to me. I'll do my best to get back to every single person like I always do. Just take some time. 
but you know we're here for you guys in the community and we you know we could love to inspire and work with you and and help anyone that we can Absolutely. Well, I know a lot of people listening probably appreciate you coming on and, and sharing everything. And for you guys, if you got this live or if you're listening to it later on podcast or YouTube, again, thank you guys so much for the support, for tuning in, showing our guests some love. And we will catch you guys next week for another episode of The Lodges Podcast.